If you're wise, you'll run, dear, run. Because to stay will mean worse than your death. They float down there. My name is Stephen King. Welcome to Filmstrip, and our views of selected works of Stephen King featuring Nick, Kiss me, fat boy, and Jay. Sometimes, that is what I... These podcasts will be spoiler-filled and contain in-depth discussions of the plots, characters, and themes. Every nightmare you ever had, I am your worst dream come true. I'm everything you ever were afraid of. All content used or discussed in this podcast is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. I'm going to scare the hell out of you. And now, here are Nick and Jay. Welcome to Continuous Play Podcast Film Strip. I'm Jay. I'm Nick. And this is our review of Stephen King's It Part 2, starring everybody from the first one and still directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. This one was released two days after the first one came out. Kind of an interesting way of doing it. And, of course, the second well, I think that, that, that's awesome. Yeah, really, I mean, it is a way to build momentum, right? So George Lucas should have done stuff like that, and Peter Jackson should be doing it with The Hobbit, making <laughs> us wait a year. Made it two days, two- man. Two days is so much better. Two days. Two days was much better to get the answers I wanted. And then, I, you know, I, I want to do this quick. I can, I can sum the second half of this up a lot faster than the first half. The lucky seven will six, now that Stan's dead, all gather in dairy and are confronted by it as Pennywise. He tries to scare them to leave town. We learn Henry Bowers actually took the blame for all the murders back when they were kids, and it helps him escape from the hallway of a mental ward. We'll talk about that. He attacks the group, stabs Mike, and is killed in the process. Mike lives but is in the hospital, so the five remaining go down to the sewers to face it again, and they see the spider form, which it uses and... uh has its deadlights put Ben, Richie, and Bill in a trance, but Eddie attacks with his aspirator again, and Bev hits it with another shot from the slingshot, but Eddie's killed in the process, and the remaining four pursue the retreating spider and rip it apart, killing it once and for all. And the group's memory of these events begins to fade as they go their separate ways and back into their adult lives. And that's really the second half of this is summed up kind of tight for that. And I'll be honest with you, for my money, you could tell the second half of this the way it's done in this miniseries in about 45 minutes, Nick. Yeah, definitely. definitely. It's just amazing even just watching. It's just like the shift in tone from oh, the yeah. first part to the second part. It even just like... It didn't even seem like any of the actors were really into it. Just the way like the children were really into the roles, really into the story. It just seemed like these uh, adult actors were there to cash a paycheck. I th- I think Richard Thomas played the whole way. I think he he did well, and uh, the the guy that played Mike <laughs> Hanlon did a pretty good job. But yeah, you know Ritter was good in the first half. He was kind of mailing at the end in the second half. I, Annette O'Toole was fine. I'll tell you the one that really bugged me. It, it was Harry Anderson. I don't remember Richie being that big of a whiner in the book. In fact, I kind of remember him being pivotal to the climax in the book. Don't you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, uh, this character is very weird. It just like, even in like the first part, like he was very much outgoing, wanted to take it out in the sewer. And this one, he's just like, 
I don't want to be here. You know, it's like, I want to go back home. It's just like, yeah, a complete different change. I mean, a character. I mean, I understand that he's got a pretty good life. You know, he's a comedian and everything. But now it's like, it's really not the same guy. And what we were kind of hinting at in the first part was kind of how when they were adults, after they got that phone call, they kind of revert back to their childhood form. Well, he really didn't in this part. He's a completely different character. Yeah, I mean, he's a totally different person. As much as he does some of the same stuff that Seth Green was doing as the younger version of him, he's a different person. And that, and it should be said that for better or worse, the first half of the way they told the miniseries is fairly close to the book. I mean, they couldn't do it exactly. We, we talked a little bit about that last time, but they did a lot of it. When they get into the adult attack on it, it's where they have to change so much of it. And we should mention this now in the book. And this to me is the genius part of the, of the book. The attacks on it when they go to the sewers are told simultaneously in the book. The, the one when they're kids and the one when they're adults. So you're reading part of the chapter and it's when they're kids and then it'll shift focus to the adult. And that is so much more satisfying a way to tell that. The tension just continues and continues and continues. This feels so much less in comparison because we've already been here and done this. So they just go and replay it on fast forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even like when they're going down the sewers, like the sense of dread and like the whole like, you know, creepiness is gone. I mean, yeah, we've been there before. So it kind of, you know, just being there before obviously takes away a lot of the shock and a lot of the uh, dread that you're feeling. But they should know that. I mean, the director should know that. So when they're doing this the second time, it's just they should do more than just follow the footsteps of the first part. Well, it's the same director, too. That's the thing, is that it's such a shift in focus. And a part of me wonders if in the production meetings, when they're putting together what they were actually going to be able to film and do, if they realized there's no way we can do the adult attack part of this. Because what happens, and it should be noted, is essentially it and the town are so intertwined with one another that when it finally dies... The town, essentially, the dam breaks and it floods away and part of Main Street collapses. And, I mean, it just, you know, all hell breaks loose. I mean, it, 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 they're barely able to get out with their lives, you know, both times. I never felt that in the second half of this. It's like they just, they wanted to get back to that moment. And, you know, the thing that ultimately convinced them to go back in there was... Mike getting attacked, and then the fact that he had stumbled around in the dark to find the earrings a few years ago when he thought it wasn't there. You know, it just to prove to himself that he could or, or whatever, because he was suicidal or something like that. And, and that spurs them all on to go forward with this whole plan. There's no, it just doesn't, I don't know. It, before, it's so much more convincing when Bill's standing there begging his friends to please go help me kill the thing that killed my brother and all of our friends to now, these adults sort of, I don't know, half-heartedly going forward with this. Yep. So let's talk about like when they get back into town for the first time, kind of how it's trying to okay. scare it away. Did it seem like the clown was kind of like depowered? Because they didn't, at all didn't feel like they were going to get killed by it. It just seemed like he was just making idle gestures just to get like, get out of here. You know, you don't have to do this. You don't have to be like, it was scared of them. I mean, and I understand, yeah, they defeated it the first time or kind of did, but at no time did, did you ever feel... No time did I ever felt, you know, like they were any danger. I mean, did you feel that way? Well, here's the thing. I I didn't know. I have never understood what its game is when they're adults. Unless it's this, that they're the only adults that seem to be able to pay attention to the thing. You know what I mean? 
Like that's part of the story is that the adults just ignore what's obviously in front of them. And that they're aware of it, it, that somehow or another weakens its power. I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm, I'm probably projecting a lot with that, but I don't know, Nick. I mean, I, I, I would say I never felt like they were in danger, but the, the fear of it is what caused Stan to kill himself. And it was clearly aware of that because when it, confronts bill in the uh cemetery you know it's got those graves lined up and one of them's full which i did uh, anybody find it interesting that there's a cross on top of the jewish boy's grave i just want to throw that out there that was you know, uh, weird. It, it, <laughs> it, 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 it's non-denominational <laughs> there we go okay but the the point is is i i don't know that it, it could ever do things to him maybe as it could when they were children because when you're a child your imagination can get carried away right but as an adult, that doesn't happen as much. I don't know. I don't know what its game is other than, and if it's supposed to be that it's afraid of them because they defeated it before, that's pretty lame. Yeah, it's, I don't know what to make of it. It's, they don't ever really come out and say it and they really don't hint at it enough where it's like the information's there where you can make up your own mind. You know, <laughs> excuse me, it's, um, I don't know. I just think that they were out of basically ideas with this and they didn't, they couldn't make it scary. I mean, I guess when it's a killer clown around children, it's a lot more scary than it is around adults, but it just, everything came off comical. I mean, even like when he's in the library, he's got that freaking you know, noisemaker in the thing and you're going, huh, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And it's like yeah. the, blood, uh, the blood going on people. It wasn't scary. It was, it was pretty funny actually. I mean, I was laughing, chuckling at it and stuff, but it's like, I don't think that was what they were trying to be the feeling. They were trying to make it scary. It's like, it's not scary. It's funny. It's kind of funny, stupid. Well, you know, it, it's so many times I've rewatched this thing through the years. I watch it all in one sitting. Like, I just burned through the whole thing, you know? So I guess I'm still with it. I will tell you, the first time I saw it and then coming to this the second time, I didn't feel the same tension. I remember that distinctly because my dad and I were having discussions about it. Like, this isn't as, as neat as the last time. There's, there's something missing here. And for this watching, for these podcasts, I purposely watched them several days apart to see if I had that same reaction, and I did. I I didn't feel any of the tension in this. There's no scare in this as there was in that first part. And that's really disappointing, honestly, because... There's a lot of room here to play with stuff. And what kills me is that it doesn't change its game. It still tries to scare them the way it would have scared them when they were children. Why doesn't it scare them like it can when they're adults? Can it not touch adult minds? I don't know. It's Okay, let's go back to like when they were kids, okay? He turns into a werewolf. He grabs them and everything like that. He's in the sh- you know, Eddie's in the shower and he comes out of the drain. He's showing his teeth. Yeah. Bev's in the bathroom. The blood's coming out of there. And, you know, it's in a real intimate area. I mean, the bathroom's an intimate place. All these, you know, Richie, when, you know, um, not um, Richie, the um, the boy, even like Georgie, it's in the sewer. I mean, it's it's doing all these, pl- it's being vicious. It's being scary. In this one, it's like he's, sta- he's sitting on the, on the edge rail of a library. Or what I think is like a real, you know, it, a funny scene is, Ben, Benny's kissing Beverly and everything, and then all of a sudden it turns into it, and he goes, kiss me, fat boy. It's like, that's funny. It's not scary. It's funny, and it's it's a complete shift of tone, and it's a drastic shift of tone. I mean, this is like, I, <laughs> you know, Matrix Revolutions change. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> well, this isn't the same type of movie I just watched. Well, I'll, I'll say this, and I, I'm going to say that 
I have an idea of what might have fixed this. The thing that we're told at the very beginning of this movie that sort of starts our characters moving forward is this little girl that gets murdered, right? And Mike is there, and she's one of several. There are three or four that have happened recently. There are no more. There are no more of those that happen the entire modern-day part of the film. And that's a problem. It should have still been doing things to create terror. You know, in addition to having to screw around with these people, it it's it still should have been doing whatever it did, which was just be evil. They weren't even doing that. Like, it's like they got to town and all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, forget, you know, killing the fresh, you know, kids like I like. I'll go deal with these people that are all 40 now. You know, that, that just didn't work for me. I'll be honest. And I, as much as I like the way these adults were in the first part, I have a hard time really following a lot of this story because it's just not fun. I mean, there's just not a lot of mirth here. I wish that, I mean, they could have brought it up in like a passing statement or something like even like at the dinner table when it's doing like all its little stupid stuff at the dinner table. Oh God. Yes. I had to play the dang temptation songs or whatever. That was a wasted montage. That should have been dialogue. I, that was too, I mean, the little bit of dialogue we got out of it wasn't enough. I mean, they could have brought it up and been like, you know, this is, it's just, it's a little different, you know, it's like, you know, it's, I'm not as scared of this thing as I used to be or, you know, they could just sing up and go, you know, bring stuff up like that. And someone could even say, you know, maybe it's scared of us and it doesn't know what to do. Or maybe we've weakened it and it's, you know, not as powerful. Or maybe just being an adult now, it's not as scary. I mean, they could have brought up stuff, but they don't. They try to make it seem like they're just as scared of it as they were as children. And you're watching it as a viewer and it's like, it's not as scary. And in fact, even the guy who killed himself, uh, his name's, what was his name? Stan. 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 It's like, you kind of wish you could have called Stan and say, Stan, don't kill yourself, man. It's not as not as scary this time. Well, and that's the thing is if he killed himself because he couldn't stand the thought of it again, you know, that's the whole point of that. I needed the rest of them to feel that way too. And all we really get out of them is I'm not really sure why I'm here. I'm not really sure what we did. I I don't really want to think about this. And Richie's just the most vocal version of that. But like, I don't really, I don't really know what to do. You know, Bev seems to be down for it for whatever. Cause I mean, you know, she sort of threw her life away as she left Chicago. So I guess this is a better alternative for her than what she has every day. But the rest of them all had a lot to lose in this. And I could see why they would be reluctant about hanging around and dealing with the wolf out the door. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. It just, again, I, so much of this second part feels like they're just stretching it for time until we can get back down in the sewer, you know, and this is a part of like, and if we can't really call this a sequel, but if you wanted to, this is the part two, you know, it's the part two where you're just waiting for, I I reckon it to like Jaws too. You know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in that movie. That's, ah, it's a lot of sailboats and music and just goofy stuff. And you're just waiting for the shark to attack. I mean, that's what you want. Is this the gremlins too? The gremlins? (laughs) I mean, it's like, it's going completely Looney Tunes. I think so. I mean, it's just, it, it's like they don't have enough to tell here because, again, these stories are simultaneous from the source work, so they've already had the left turn out of that. So they don't have enough left to tell, so they got to stretch this thing out. So you have these montages and you have this, all this other stuff going on. So what did you think of Henry Bauer's um, subplot in here that uh, he... He, I, 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 I like the fact that it was the character of him who takes the blame for all the killings back when it was, you know, around in the 60s. And 
it makes sense, it completely works, and then he comes back. And it's just, it's such a weird scene, because it's, you know, he's in the mental institution, and it looks like a freaking hallway. It looks like they rented a hallway at a school. Like, oh, we're just going to pile beds next to each other. Cause, Rent, course, rented? Of, you mean snuck in too late at night? Because, of course, that's how <laughs> mental institutions run. It just looks like a freaking hallway with cot after cot after cot. That's exactly how it's done. Yeah, no, but that then, is... But then, yeah. but then he turns into a dog in a cot... <laughs> It, it it it's it's a dog in a freaking clown outfit and he barks at the guy. It doesn't even doesn't even show him like going after him or mauling him or something. It just barks and the guy falls over. Oh, that that was so that that slow mo. Oh, that was awful. I'll tell you, I liked the fact that it had used Henry Bowers as essentially the patsy for this and decided that well, you know what? If there's anybody that's these losers' mortal enemy, it's that guy. So I can just go get him out. But then my, my thought would have been Henry, even if I am crazy and have been in the institution. Hey, where have you been the last 25 years? <laughs> well, I've been sitting here telling everybody what really happened. And you let me sit here and rot. <laughs> I mean, See, that- I, I, I liked it a lot better in the book, though, that even like when they were children, it was influencing him the whole time. That his murderous right. instincts and everything that he was doing to those kids was actually kind of brought on by it because he was like somehow like not maybe not maybe not directly possessing him but influencing him like he kills his father in the book and in the in the in the TV series it's just like oh yeah Henry's an evil kid you know he's the most evil bully I've ever met he's gonna freaking you know gut a kid on the middle of the street but in the book it's all described that it's influencing him that. His whole reasoning for doing that is so he is the patsy, so no, that he does take the blame, kind of in a way that it's kind of like they can, you know what I'm saying? It's like oh, it's no, like, no, a, you're, it's, you're, it's, like an, it's like an added threat in the book. So when the sh- when everything does happen, it's kind of like he's the fall guy in case anything does happen. So no one really looks any further than that, and that's what I really like. And just in the in the TV series, he's just he's just a crazy psychopath that no one really wants to deal with in a proper way. He's just a hood in this in the TV show. In the book, it's a much more layered character. And that's the thing that we, it they don't ever go for here. And that I guess they would just have no. Again, it's part of the things that you trim when you're taking a twelve hundred page book and trying to do it in three hours. There's no way to tell that, but I like it better too that. He, He's actually influenced by it. It's not just Henry's a bad kid and and then, yeah, then, then that's thing, the thing is, you know? and then part two also it shows up in the moon and he's like, "Hey, Henry," and it's like, "Oh yeah, of course he's just gonna listen to this guy." You know, it's like he has yeah. no past experience. Now it would make sense. That it's like, "Hey, he was influencing him as a kid, and now he's coming back to re you know reestablish that type of control over him." But it just comes out of nowhere, and also like Belch comes underneath the bed, like, "Hey, here I am." You can know, can like, I tell you where they could have done that too? You know, there's that scene where he and his friends are being attacked by the deadlights or whatever, and you could have just had a throwaway because they do that stupid superimposed Pennywise face later on in this this part with the adults or whatever. You could have had that happen, and it just only he sees it. It's like keep going to the left, Henry. This is where I want him. You know, that's all it would have taken was one shot of that. And I would have been like, oh, so that when this, when Pennywise appears in the moon again to him, it's not out of nowhere. Yeah, you know? it's, because, it's completely out of nowhere in this movie. It's just like, mm-hmm. it, it it doesn't make any sense. And it's just, again, laughable, stupid, you know, just cliche storytelling or just, it's convenient storytelling. That's what I'm trying to say. It's I think, I think, storytelling. I think there's a lot of convenience that happens in the, the second half of this, this thing, which is really kind of the, the third act is, is sort of that. There's so much 
contrivance and circumstance that has to come together. Oh, and it's like it. It's like God. You're supposed to be some like interstellar, you know, being. You choose some decrepit old man to go do this. It's like he goes in, like you know, he attacks Mike, and then you know he gets stabbed himself and everything. And it's just like, oh, man, hold on, man, hold on, man, this, 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 this old man can't kill anybody. He shouldn't even be driving. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Well, here's the thing, though. He he attacks Mike with a switchblade that Ghost Belch it gives him. If it can manifest physical things, I asked the same question John Connor asked in Terminator 2. Why can't it just turn into a bomb and blow us all up? You know, if it can make itself a switchblade, how can, how did that have that's that's one of those dropped things that only on multiple rewatchings do you start to go, huh? And see, and here is the other problem. In the first part of this, we didn't nitpick any of this. You know, we were just going with the story because the the characters were selling us on it. The problem here is they keep shifting the focus off the adults because I think somewhere inside the director knows these adults aren't nearly as interesting to watch as those kids were. So we can't keep it on them. But they could be. They could so be. It could so be a different threat. It could be, you know, it's going after kids during this time. We're coming back to town and it's still getting kids. It's it's, it's a race against the clock. We got to go get him now before he kills any more children. They don't ever play that up. I know. That's the detriment of it. There's no stakes happening. It's like when they show up to town, they've solved the problem. You know, because now they've taken all of its attention uh, up until the end there. Well, even even like when... um. When 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 Bill's uh, like fiance comes to town and stuff like that, and it's able to like show the deadlights in his eyes to her, why couldn't he do that to the kids that are there? Why couldn't he just all suddenly appear in a book like he did in the first part and just be like, okay, here's the lights, you're trans, you know, completely transfixed uh, upon it. You know, uh, yeah, like, I don't know. I mean, that whole or, bit, that whole subplot of her coming after Bill, and then you know, we didn't say that in the plot summary. She winds up sort of being cocooned in this big spider web and she's in catatonia at the end of it and like they don't know if she's going to make it out and bill rides around on this bicycle and they you know that wakes her up or whatever but they, i mean yeah, that's you, just you, you totally I, don't even care about the character you don't even care no it's, it's you like, have yeah, no idea because you, you saw her for five minutes in the first part and it's yeah. like yeah i understand that you know she's she's got a connection to bill but you don't really care and it's like you know there's in in, in the book it's so much different because Beverly's fiance or boyfriend ends up, you know, kind of being the catalyst of her coming to town and her getting caught by it. Well, and let me ask you this. Hold on, because that's a, yeah, I remember that from the book. Is he not the gas station attendant that deadlights her when she pulls into town or near town? Because I so thought that was the same actor. I didn't it look it up. He is, and it's probably just kind of a nod to the book because in the book, yeah. his character brings her to town and everything, and he's all behind it. He ends up seeing it, and I think he ends up killing himself or dying of shock. It's been yeah, a while since I've read it. I but thought- it's, it, it's so much better in the book. And this one, it's like, oh, yeah, this girl we kind of saw for five minutes. Is that Beverly? Wait, no, she's got an English accent. That's not Beverly. Yeah, that's, that's Juliet from the old Romeo and Juliet you had to watch in grade school growing up. Yeah, so. <laughs> and, and, and it's also like it, you know, sister, and he's like the the stars in his eyes transfixes her, and also like she disappears, and it's kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever, you know. I really didn't care about that character, and it's just, it just, it's more problems with the whole direction and plotting of this movie, and it's. Let's even get into the big thing, the freaking spider, man. <laughs> That's out of the book. I mean, that is out of I the book. I know it's out of the book, but it's like it's not well done. 
And the whole thing too is like the clown Tim Curry is so good at being it, being Pennywise, being the killer child killing clown. You can't replace it with some stop motion spider and expect it to be any better. It's not. I mean, I understand it's out of the book, but we've changed so much stuff from part two from the book. Why not change this climax? Well, I don't think they would have known where else to go with it. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I think that's the biggest reason is they had no idea where else to, to ride with this thing beyond what was already on the page. You know, is that it is a spider and, you know, that's how they, they run with it. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm okay. I, I'm willing to let them have it because one thing I know is th- this is a TV movie in 1990. They didn't have any money, and for what it is, the special effects aren't that bad. They do one thing right, and Tommy Lee Wallace knows this. If it doesn't look great, don't linger on it. They, I mean, you have to slow it down and stop, and, and we live in the age of screenshots and stuff. We've seen that spider forever, but when you see it the first time, you're just like, that is so weird. It, it's Instead of being scary, it's just unnerving and strange. But they don't linger on it, thank goodness. And thank God they didn't show everybody tearing it apart. Because that would have been horrible. I mean, they show it in shadow. But if they had shown them tearing that puppet apart, that would have been like watching you murder Kermit on The Muppet Show. See, the thing I liked about the climax, and the one thing I'll give part two is it was just kind of a little freaky thing, is when they're going down there and they find its lair and it's like this little door and everything. I thought yeah. that was kind of just like, that was, that was a little bit creepy, you know? It's kind of like, that's the door, so it's like, is he small? Is I, I've got to tell you, it's- having now seen him, though, I totally had leprechaun flashbacks at yeah. that moment. <laughs> but, but, but but it's a cool scene, though. I think like that when they're finding its lair, but then when you see like the spider and it looks like it's out of... Uh, Deep Star Six, you know. Well, I, I want to tell you the Star other Six. thing that ruins it is, is that is that oh, no, it's Deep Star Nine. No, I don't know. I didn't watch any of that shit. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna tell I think you. I smell another retrospective coming. I up. don't think so. Um, <laughs> I I can tell you this though. The thing that really ruins the spider is that awful music cue that they give it. Instead of being creepy weird, it's don 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 don. It's like something out of the '50s movies those kids used to go see. You know, it's them and all that kind of stuff. That, to me, has always ruined that shot. It, your music has got to accent and punctuate what you do. It'd be like when Michael Myers walks on screen, instead of that, da-da, da-da, you know, those piano drones, he comes on the screen with, da-da-da-da-da-da, you know, or something like that. I mean, it, it's the wrong cue entirely. And so that whole thing then just plays wrong. Oh, it does. And... Even like when like all of a sudden like Beverly hits it in his stomach and all the lights are showing and stuff like that, it's not just. I mean, you kind of understand what it is that that's the dead lights and that the other guys are kind of transfixed upon it. But Eddie's able to you know muster enough courage to get past it, and he ends up getting killed. He gets killed much better in the book. <laughs> oh yeah, he gets his arm ripped off, and I mean it's, yeah. it's awful. But uh, you know they couldn't do that on TV. I was fine I, with I know the way they he died in the TV. But the whole thing yeah. is like I remember watching as a kid the first time. I'm like, did Eddie die? They don't really ever really say if he died. I mean, they kind of like, they don't show him after oh, he falls. Oh, but oh it's yeah, like they it's, do. Yeah, they do. He lays there and, you know, does that whole, don't call me spaghetti, man. I hate it when you, and he didn't finish the sentence. So it's like, that's the total death from the Western. Well, you that's know? the weakest death ever. Man. Oh, well, it's, it's like, oh, he fell. Oh, he fell like 20. You know, well, like I think you're supposed to infer legs. that he got picked up by the pincher claws and got stabbed. It's just not shown. 
but I think that's what you're supposed to see. Then. Weak, weak, weak. <laughs> well, it's the whole bit is that there's only four of them that are going to make it out of those sewers alive. Mike is in the hospital, stabbed in the stomach from uh, Henry Bowers' knife or whatever, yeah. but he lives. But the the, the ones that are going to make it out are those four. You know, for, for and in the movie, it's not as clear. In the book, it's much under more understandable as to why. You know, they have a different role. Um, ben has nothing to do here except look scared and lust after a netto tool. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, you know, get ready for the next uh, Problem Child movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't even know if this was around that same time, but still, I mean, it was not. There just wasn't a lot for him to do. And I mean, I know we're sitting here, we're kind of nitpicking this thing to death, but there's just not a lot here. I mean, it is a really thin second part of what was a very, very good setup. And I I think that's what's most disappointing about it for me is that the setup to this is so good and it's so interesting. But when they start finishing it all, it's just unsatisfying. It reminds me so much of... The Devil's Advocate. If you've ever seen that with uh, Keanu Reeves and Al Pacino, the first half of that movie is amazing. After that, though, it just starts falling apart, man. Like the the story just falls apart in the late second and third act, and there's just nothing nothing there. And that's the way I feel about the second ver- uh, part of it is that it just falls apart in its second half here. There's just not as much to make it uh, engaging for me to watch. Oh, definitely. I mean, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I guess I, I'm still going to go with the opinion that I don't think these actors really were given that much. I mean, yeah, the script probably wasn't giving them that much to work with, but it's they weren't doing the very good job. You have a lot of stupid stuff going on, you know, as far as, like, plot stuff. There's no threat in the second half. It's comical when it should be scary. And they're trying to be scary, but it's coming out comical. And it's just, even, like, the end, okay, okay, they, they, they kill Pennywise. They, they hit him with, you know, the silver earrings. They're able to go and do, follow it. You know, they're like, hey, I don't want to come back here when I'm 90 years old or 70 years old and do this again. Let's go and finish this once and for all. And it's kind of like, well, where did that come from? How do they know finish it once and for all? I mean, well, I think I, I, tearing, I don't understand tearing, that. tearing it apart and presumably ripping its heart out would probably be the end. You know, that, I, I mean, I think that's what they presume, and it's what we're supposed to presume as an audience. You know, the, the, again, what would have made that more of a sell and what sells it in the book is that the entire town crumbles beneath them. You know, if that had been, if they had somehow tied those things together a little bit better and had some of that happen, that would have been a, an easier sell for me. As it is, it's just they tear the puppet apart, they go get Audra out of the web, and then they go home. And, I mean, that's just kind of it. Yeah, it's it's not very good. I mean, it's not very good. I mean, it was Audra the only one that was ended up being saved from it. You see, all these other these people coming down. Come that's what I wanted to know. I was like, where did all these other people go? Y'all just leave them down there to stumble out of the sewer? I mean, I don't. Yeah, that it, again. And I don't understand the whole cocooning of people. I'm like, is it when it's dormant? Does it wake up for a snack? You know, I mean, what is that all about? I don't. Why didn't he just kill her and then like put her head on a stick and go, Hey, Bill, here's your wife. You know, I mean, what if this, that's the James Bond twirling mustache version of, of it. I'm going to steal your girlfriend, kill her. No, I'm just going to 
make her catatonic and you know that'll mess you up. Ha ha ha. She wasn't that good of an actress to begin with. I mean, come on. No, she wasn't very good. <laughs> well, of course, I mean, you know, clearly she wasn't that successful. Bill's still writing these crappy books, so I mean, you know, not like she was winning Oscars or something. So. The magic stones, <laughs> whatever the, <hell> <laughs> the glow, the balls. gnaw. I mean, all ripoffs of of Stephen King books. We might add, but anyway. Man, Stephen King obsessed with himself. I mean, every freaking thing he does, there's always a character that represents him. Hey, at least there wasn't, like, the haunted laundry machine, okay? That, that we can at least save the world from the main Dude, the, la- the haunted laundry machine would be better than the spider at the end. If, if a freaking dryer came, like, kind of, like, bouncing out and, like... Hey, hey, hey! Screw you, kids! I'm gonna dry you. To, I'm gonna dry you till your skin's really <laughs> Nick, odd. Really. Nick, I, th- I think that happens in Maximum Overdrive. I'm not terribly sure I remember that, but I'm fairly sure that's what happens. Once to get there, well, that would be it. awesome. That would be awesome. I'm really good. I haven't seen Maximum Overdrive, so if that's what's happening, you oh, got yeah. me excited. Man. Well, you're in for a real treat, then. <laughs> well, I, I think. Th- go ahead. If, hell, man! If it's it can be anything better than this. I mean, does Maximum <laughs> Overdrive end with, you know, think, even, even like, I was going to ask you, what, what's with, the, like, the also, like, we have, like, a random flashback in this one where it's like, hey, we got to bring up uh, the Jewish kid again and the fact that he saw Frankenstein's monster in, the, in, the, in, in this house. Wasn't that really just kind of out of place at the end? I felt like that was filler, that they didn't really tell Stan's origin or they didn't feel like they had told Stan's origin enough with it, so they wanted to have something there. It's also that they can have Richard Mazur's head pop up in that fridge and as it and scare them all, you know, and, and insult them or whatever. I mean, that's the whole purpose of that, which I will say, when I was younger, that was freaky. And I thought, oh, good. And then after that, this whole thing just falls apart because they go to dinner at the Chinese restaurant and then it's salt over after that. But yeah, so I think we're, we've kind of made it clear how we feel about this part of it, Nick, but we've got to make a ruling because last time we didn't popcorn rate this because I said we're going to do it as a whole piece because I don't think this is something you could watch half of and then not watch the other half. So what are your final recommendations and popcorn ratings for all of Stephen King's It? I don't know. This is. It's kind of like going out to a restaurant and like you have like you sit at the bar, you have a really good drink, you know, you got a really good bartender, you have a really good appetizer, but then when the entree comes, it's overcooked, it's not very good. So it's kind of like, well, how, how do you judge the what restaurant experience? It started off really well, but do you, but it ended not the way that it started out. And for me, it's going to be a medium popcorn. I mean, the beginning is very, very, very good. It was a really good drink to begin with, but it just didn't nail the ending, and I guess you could pretty much say that about Stephen King as a whole. I mean, the movies withstanding that we've already reviewed, being a literary fan of him, he seems to always have that problem with a lot of his books, that he can really, really set it up. The second third of the book can be very, very good, very entertaining, bringing you even further in but he doesn't nail the ending. He cannot nail the ending. And I feel that's pretty much how you can describe it. The, this movie is like, it's a perfect representation of Stephen King as an author, is that you're going to get a really great first half, but that last half isn't going to be as good. So, medium popcorn. You know, I don't disagree with anything that you've said, and I certainly have joined in the tearing apart of the second part of this thing, because I don't think it's as good as the first. I would never say that. That said, though, 
there is so much good in that first part that if you will do like I'm recommending or like I'm going to recommend here and you watch the whole thing together in one sitting, I do think it's a satisfying experience. I think you can enjoy this even though it's not as good as it starts off. You know, this to me isn't just a good drink. It's a good drink, a good appetizer. And the, the main meat isn't that great, but all the other, you know, side pieces are good and the dessert's decent enough for me to at least enjoy it for that. So I'm going to give it a large popcorn. But like the large popcorn you'd get because you're, you're at the matinee and you decide to splurge the day after Christmas or something like that. You know, it's it's not the best, but it's still good. And it's way better than some of the stuff that I that we've seen and I know is coming. So I, I do think, though, you've hit it on the head. It is a good example of a big problem with Stephen King books is that they, the setup is always more interesting than the resolve. And another thing is his books never know when to end. You know, they never know when to stop. They're not cinematic in that way for the most part. And there always feels like there's too many codas in it, you know, and that is an issue. But I'm going to give this one a large because I do think it's good. I've watched it a lot and I'll watch it again. I know I will. And I, but when I watch it again, I will not split it up. I will watch it straight through. I'll flip the disc right over and watch that second part and be done with it because, um, putting distance on it does not do this film favors. So um, we agree in that, but uh, I go large popcorn on it. So we teased it, Nick, our next one in our Stephen King retrospective before we take a break from this for a little while and do some other stuff is going to be maximum overdrive. King decided (laughs) he'd had enough of people directing his stuff. So he got really coked up and directed one himself. Um, and that is exactly how I can set up what's coming in Max. Is this the, the, the one, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta spoil this for me. Does this one have death by, um, vending machine? Yes, it does. Freaking <laughs> I, it, I am excited. Yes, it does. It has a, I, I, and I, I, I want to tell you, it has a gruesome death after gruesome death by machine. It's just how this thing rolls. So I, I'm looking forward to doing that one with you. It's going to be a good time. So. I'm going to watch it tonight. (laughs) All right. Well, folks, thanks so much for joining us on this latest episode of Filmstrip. You can find more episodes in the archive section of our website, continuousplaypodcast.com. Click the Filmstrip Movies logo there. You can also find a link to The Art of Slaying, our sister podcast, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer Review. Leave us a note on Facebook or hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what you think and leave us a review on iTunes. really helps other people find the podcast. Until next time, for Nick, I'm Jay. Thanks for tuning in to Filmstrip. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Come back any time. I'll see Slow down. They all slow down here. Visit our website, continuousplaypodcast.com, for more reviews and episodes. All content used or discussed in this podcast is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504, C2, Title 17.